Welcome to Off Screen. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. Right, let's get cinematic. Let's keep you on your couch, but with some options to go to certain cinemas should you need it. <laughs> well, that's a thing. I had this out with Adam Ball on BBC recently because I used the term limited theatrical with him. He's like, what does that mean? What was limited theatrical? It's only in some cinemas, although technically right now, all theatrical is limited theatrical because we're missing a quarter of the multiplexes and another quarter have gone about half the time. So everything is officially limited theatrical if it's theatrical unless otherwise stated. Absolutely. Too many terms and conditions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I use selected cinemas as my... Selected best. cinemas. <laughs> there we go. And speaking of selected cinemas, but also Sky Cinema as well, from uh, today you're able to watch Secret Garden, uh, which is a retelling of the 1911 book of... Uh, I suppose it's a story, it's a much-loved story of a young girl whose parents are dead, unfortunately, and so she gets sent to her sort of depressed uncle's estate in the UK and she's, I suppose, goes exploring and discovers a magical garden. Is there anything more to it? Of course. Well, yeah, but of course, you know, you've got to, we've got to make it for the time. So it now needs to be a little bit extra gothy, a little bit more colourful, and in 4K. So I'll tell you what, let's skip to 30 minutes into the movie and uh, let's, let's, let's give Colin Firth one of his three scenes in there, shall we? Mrs Medlock says you're cluttering up the place. She'd have me send you away to school. I don't want that, sir. I like it here. Then we will find you a governess. No, I've no need of a governess. I've too much to learn here at Misselthwaite, sir. This place has nothing to teach you. I want to play out of doors. It's too hot to do so in India. I'm obliged by law to have you taught. And we'll need to break the law, won't we? So, the little girl in it starts off a little bit, um, I suppose... Prickly? She's prickly, yeah. She's... she's yeah, a, prickly. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's, she's a frustrating character. Um, and then kind of, I suppose, softens up as, as the movie goes through and... Uh, and uh, and obviously Colin Firth's character is is he's in he's he's in mourning essentially um, and essentially just yeah he cause, I mean he's got the he's it's, it's a real physical performance as well I quite admire the physicality he puts into it on top of like makeup effects he's meant to have like a, a hunchback mm. but the way that he just positions himself the way he moves I actually thought was tremendous but I did think it suggested a real premium production value for this one, which is, I think, something we can't deny. This film has a real premium production value going for it. Well, do you know what? I I felt there was like, it felt like Narnia to me. You know, mm. when you watch the Narnia films and you go through the wardrobe and suddenly you're in this fantasy land, that's essentially what you're getting from the garden. You're When you go into this sort of garden world, it is fantastical and it's, it's bright and bold, but the contrast is so vast from this almost pitch black stately home and I really struggled with that the contrast so much because I almost could like if you're watching this during the day which if you've got kids in tow that's what you're you going will be yeah yeah it's half term that's exactly what this this film is out for you can't see a lot of the stuff when it's in the house I really struggled with this I think, to be honest, I mean, there's a, there's, first of all, there's a sizable shift because as I've always understood this story, first of all, you know, we've got to talk about this in relation to the version that came before. This is the fourth adaptation, yeah. the fourth cinematic adaptation of Secret Garden. Uh, the third is essentially a beloved property now, and it's beloved by a very specific subset, a very specific age group of usually millennials, usually millennials who were between, I think, you know, uh, five and 15 
1994. Anyone who sort of fell within that age bracket, that 1993 version is quite beloved. And that is generally regarded as being quite a good adaptation of the book. This does seem to take a couple of tonal liberties, namely in shifting what has previously been seen as the spiritual and shunting it more into the supernatural in terms of how tangible and how visually represented it is. Like, it's been pointed out to me by, like, friends who are fans of the original that things that are implied, things that are seen as potentially psychological things in the book and even in other theatrical versions of this, here are played as if they are literal magic. Yeah. Which is, I think, a sign of the times that we. this is the first version we've had made since the YA genre, which admittedly skews a little bit older than this generally anyway, but since that's come to embrace magic and other worlds and things like that. Do you know what? I think it also fits into this cotton wool culture that we're in. Like everything has to be laid out on a plate. Everything has to be like, oh, we can't put things up. Mm. You know, we can't put things to chance. We can't expect the children to make this up in their minds. (laughs) Exactly that problem, in fact, yes. Yeah, I'm with you on that. It's frustrating because sometimes the power of, you know, and we talked about the film Rebecca on Netflix last week. You mm-hmm. don't, yes. you know, not, yeah. not like always hearing about Rebecca, but not necessarily seeing her gives, allows you to paint a certain picture of it. Mm. And I think you should always start with that, that tact from a young age. And, and, and we have a responsibility in those kind of films to make sure that you do that as well. So it feels like a much more intelligent film. I will say as well, I mean, there are uh, there are performances in there that I think I don't quite cut the mustard. Um, Eden Hayhurst as Colin, for instance, is just... I mean, there's no way to say it other than, well, he's proper hamming it up. I mean, he's really going... For, I don't quite know how you would pull that off otherwise, but it just feels too loose and too elastic too camp a performance. It's too colourful and large a performance for what this needs to be. Yeah, it is too stage school in, in parts, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's grand, it's big, you know, it's yeah. what? And do you know what? Again, it's to do with timing. In 2020, I don't think that that necessarily works. I think you could forgive mm. in a 1993 version a bit of hamming up. <laughs> but now, you know, everyone's just that little bit more savvy. Child actors are a little bit more yeah. savvy. So if you bring it back to that, look, I think at the end of the day, I think we're kind of picking holes in something that fundamentally audiences, people with kids who are going to need something as a bit of a distraction and might say, hey, I loved this when I was a kid. Why don't you enjoy this as well? Those kind of audiences will will, will love it. They might show them the 1993 version. They might show them the 2020 version. But... There's nothing wrong with this movie. It's just there's nothing wow about it either. I think that's it. I think it feels a bit basic. It feels a bit old hat. Uh, I mean, not to say that it doesn't look nice done with this particular colour palette and in HD and, you know, all the all the latest bells and whistles, sure, but it is kind of like Rebecca in that you can watch this, sure. I don't think it's as good as the original, but if you've not seen a version, eh, you could do worse than watching this one. Yeah. Fair enough. Can we go on to something that I think we can speak a bit more animatedly about? Let's talk about the big comedy sequel of the of the week. Big one of the big comedy sequels of the year because we didn't even know this was coming particularly. We didn't know that this was coming until a month ago um, when it dropped. Really, and 
it is, if anyone is wondering and doesn't know, oh, where have you been? Especially if you've not been reading the news in the last couple of days. Mm. All right, subsequent movie film. And it is available on Amazon Prime from today. So interesting that this is going straight to Prime as well. I think that's the first point to make. Well, the thing is as well that Sasha Baron Cohen has in recent years really found his way into the highbrow American comedy cable kind of infrastructure. So his last series, This uh, this Is America, I think it was called, was done as an HBO show, I think. So he's... And, and the beauty of once you're under, of being under the HBO umbrella is you can get away with a lot yeah. in the name of, of sort of good taste. I mean, there's pretty much only Louis C.K. who can't commit crimes in the name of HBO at this stage. But... Uh, I know that was a really dark gag and I should yeah, never refuse it. But that's the thing. He's and he's presumably had to take on some real insurance risks at the very least of this because he's filmed a lot of this during COVID, would seem to be the case. Yes, and I was quite shocked about this. This very, very much is a movie for now. It's not necessarily mm. a movie that in five, ten years' time you're going to want to re-watch. But for now and what's going on and what we're living through, this is the movie you're going to want to see. So for those not, because we've got a clip and it's really dodgy as to whether or not we can play the clip. Like, I don't know if I can send this to the BBC later this week. Anyway, uh, so the plot for those uh, those sort of uninformed so far involves Borat being released from prison for his crimes in representing Kazakhstan in the first movie. He is assigned by the, uh, the foreign trade ministry, who are basically representing the Kazakhstani government, to basically go to the US and present Mikhail Pence the vice premier of the United States with a gift which is going to eventually be uh, Borat's teenage daughter his 15 year old daughter played by quote unknown Irina Novak now I say that because there is no record in the universe of an actress named Irina Novak so this is going to come up as a gag at some point in weeks to come I'm sure we're going to hear something about this Um, and basically this then takes the form of another Borat-esque road trip culminating in a series of you know hidden camera skits uh, chiefly like this one in which Borat has accidentally fed his daughter a cake complete with an icing baby on top and she has the baby stuck in her throat so they take her to an abortionist so uh, yeah she wants it out now please right can you take it out no we cannot what you say take it out yes you end that life that that life will die it's already dead it's not living no it is a living breathing life that God has created. I don't think he's breathing. We can show you that it's breathing. I feel bad because I was the one who put the baby in her. You don't need to feel bad. I was just trying to give my daughter pleasure and next thing I know there is a baby inside her. Mm -hmm. You keep calling her your daughter. Yes. Okay. Is he your father? Yes. This is your daughter. Yes. Okay. So cringe comedy I struggle with, okay, because I just, and I'm sure, you know, it's getting exactly the reaction from me that it Mm. wants from people. But I, I I mean, both both Van and myself, we texted each other straight after watching this movie uh, once we received the screener for it. And we didn't love it, right, if we're being honest. We're a bit like, hmm. The more I think about it and the more I think about what it achieves, like that I love. 
I think. Oh, yes, definitely. It's a a grower, not a shower, I believe, is the term in this case. Yeah, 100%. I think you're going to walk away going, that is so crass. I can't believe he's done it. And then you're going to sleep on it. And then you're going to come back and go, that scene was actually really clever. I can't believe he had the audacity to do that. I will say that you and I were given an experience that most other people will not, though. So because we were shown the film in advance of an embargo and no one was allowed to discuss it prior to that embargo, we obviously got to watch the film. We formulated our thoughts we wrote notes things like that and then the embargo dropped and with the drop of the embargo came not only all the reviews but also certain real world news events as well that are going to basically be there as background noise for everyone watching this movie for the first time which is an incredibly interesting thing yeah it's the hype machine because you're going to read those that news Mm got to see what the hell that is now we're not going to mention any of that stuff mainly namely because the prs have asked us not to <laughs> um, of course so um we're going to keep stum and we don't want to ruin that experience for you but obviously there are things on major news outlets talking in relation mm. to the movie okay so you will yeah. you will get that insight for me the star of the show is the daughter in it and you've mentioned i know where you found it like on on imdb it calls her unknown arena whatever her surname is However, in certain reviews, her There's real other name, names, yeah. Yeah, which is, I think she's a Bulgarian actress and whatever. But it will be interesting Maria to see. Maria Baklowska? Yes. I think has come up as well. She is scene stealing because what she does is whatever Sasha Baron Cohen is known for and what you expect him to push the boundaries on, she can do just as well. And that's where it kind of builds as. A brilliant movie. I think so. I think it's a lot looser in structure. It works a lot less successfully than a lot of his other efforts. It does feel like one of the weaker ones regardless, but the thing is that he's so good generally that his weaker efforts are better than a lot of others' best. So, look, you you kind of know already in advance. If you've seen any of his work prior to this, you kind of know if you're going to enjoy this or not. So, I I don't think we can even thumb up or thumb down with this. It's just whatever you think of a Sasha Baron Cohen movie is what you're going to get here. Yeah, it's a matter of taste, and it's just, if you've had if you've loved the original 2006 Borat, you are going to love this. So, you know, and everyone else, you're just going to be really intrigued and you will take from it what you will. Is nice. Welcome back to Off Screen. We are keeping you on the couch this week with more opportunities for you to watch great movies, but this time they're all on TV. So Freeview Junkies, Rejoice, these ones are for you. So we're going to kick off. Uh, Van, what are we kicking off with on Saturday, tomorrow night? What are we kicking off with? So, Saturday night, 9 pm on Five Star. This is, this might be a controversial choice, but this is my favourite Martin Scorsese movie, like of all of his canon. I know, I know. It's a hard, how do you make the decision? But I've always gone for this because it's just the weird one. Like randomly in 1990 or so, uh, Martin Scorsese decided, ah, the hell with it. I've always wanted to do a remake. I'm going to remake Cape Fear and I'll get Robert De Niro to come along and help me because maybe if I can redefine what movie Psychopath looks like for five minutes, that'll just be a bonus win. So that's what you get here. If you've ever seen the Simpsons episode Cape Fear in which Sideshow Bob stalks Bart to death, (laughs) you've seen arguably the greatest parody you can ever do of this movie. And I think I saw that before I saw the movie. 
Oh my goodness, I remember that. That is like one of the Simpsons episodes that just stands out. Like It's, it's so, so good, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. the classic with the rakes. Anyway, so this is where all of that comes from. This is the uh, the lawyer played by Nick Nolte who, you know, sent uh, Robert De Niro down years previously. Robert De Niro was released from the penitentiary and sets out for revenge on, on his former counsellor. So here's a clip of... Uh, oh, what's his name? From... He's, he's also in Goldeneye, annoying, annoyingly enough. I will find out his name plays as uh, a uh, Wade in, in the Bond movies. Um, this is him uh, telling Robert De Niro to leave town, effectively. You know, I've been in a real bad mood lately. It's a shame, isn't it? You know what you can do to brighten my mood? No. Get the hell out of here. <laughs> I don't mean just this little town. I mean the whole goddamn state. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. And I don't want to smell you. Now leave. Yeah, I like the... Are you my friend? No, I'm not your friend. Oh, because I thought maybe you were my friend, because I like to plan my comings and goings with friends. But if uh-huh. you're not my friend, you're planning my comings and goings, I'd call that presumptuous. In fact, I'd call them downright rude, because I ain't your porch baby, buddy. Well, gee, golly gosh, I sure am sorry I offended you, you white trash piece of Ooh, ooh I got the all-over fidges on that one. You're really shaking me up. I'm shivering all over. Ooh. It was Joe Don Baker. That's what, whose name I couldn't remember. Joe Don Baker plays Wade in GoldenEye and Tomorrow Never Dies. For anyone who, who doesn't know what, what Van looks like when he suddenly has that realisation of knowing a name that he's previously forgotten, I had the joy of seeing that realisation play out during that clip. <laughs> yeah. Van was like literally pulling his hair out, going, I got it, I got it. It's amazing. Um, this, I mean, you can tell from that clip, this is this is gold, this movie. This is, mm. you know, again, gold for a golden age. 1991, Juliette Lewis in her heyday, you know, Robert De Niro. Oh. Jessica Lange. And the best part is it's, it's because of where it's set, because it is set in the American South, so it has that, you know, that lots of sweat, lots of linen kind of a look. Everyone's on steamboats kind of thing. Everyone has a fan and a mint julep to yeah. hand. You know what I mean? Everyone wears white sundresses, no matter how dirty they plan on getting that day. It is a very sweaty, kind of like reverentially sexy kind of a, a, a tone going on. There's a lot of Scorsese romanticizing the thrillers, like the deep set South thrillers of the 50s, for instance, in this, I think. Yeah. And, and you know what? Like, when you heard from that clip that performance from De Niro in it. Mm. Not a typical De Niro performance, I don't think. I think there's something takes him... Uh, yeah, it gets under your skin in this, in a, in a way. He's having some fun. He's yeah. definitely having a lot of fun in this. This is back when De Niro having fun still meant brilliance, rather than, I'm going to have fun, but it means I don't get off from this armchair for 90 minutes. Or I'm having fun and it's called Bad Grandpa or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But alas, that's Kate for you. I do think it's tremendous. We're checking it actually for the opening titles with the um, with the Bernstein score and, and just there's a lot of really great stuff going in there. A lot of old school Hollywood filmmaking. Uh, Thelma Schoonmaker, I think, is still the uh, the DP on it. And uh, Robert Dinette as well makes an appearance. I think Gregory Peck's got a, a small uh, cameo in there as well, sort of tying it back to the original. I think at one point this was meant to be a Spielberg movie, but I'd say absolutely check it out. This is a five-star, 9pm Saturday night, 
perfect thriller. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, moving on to Sunday. Um, we've got another goodie for you. I really like this. This is the 1995 Bond offering. Uh, it's on ITV for 9pm. It is, of course, GoldenEye. It's uh, one of the reasons why I love it is because of Tina Turner's uh, theme music to this. Um, it, of course. Yeah, it's just amazing. But also... Do you like, know who wrote that, by the way? Who? That was written by Bono and The Edge. Why didn't they perform it? I mean, I love Tina. Let's be grateful they didn't. But yeah, Tina, yay. Yeah. Um, but this time we see 007, along with Natalia Simonov, uh, travelling to Russia to locate a satellite nuclear weapon stolen by a former agent who Bond believed was dead. You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant. A bean counter more interested in my numbers and your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good. Because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur. A relic of the Cold War. Whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Point taken. Not quite, 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death. But I won't do it on a whim. Even with your cavalier attitude towards life. Now, there's a lot going for this. This is the first Bond after the longest break, I think, at least to date, in that franchise. Brosnan had meant to have taken over as Bond after Roger Moore, so he would have been stepping in in 1987 in what would have become uh, The Living Daylights. The film he was going to star in was still called GoldenEye. Now, it's never been confirmed, but the idea is that they shelved the idea of GoldenEye for eight years until eventually Brosnan was free again because it had been TV negotiations that had prevented him from taking on the role in the first place. Um... This is the first bomb post-Cold War, so it's the first bomb that has to deal with, for instance, the former Soviet Union and ex-KGB and ex-spies and the fall of the wall and things like that. It's also got, uh, as you can hear from the clip there, um, <laughs> Judy Dench. Sorry, I'm catching my breath. Judy Dench as the new M, and she's obviously a direct reference to Stella Remington, who at that point had taken over as head of MI6, and it was this great move for women in the world of international espionage because they finally had a female figurehead, and they were trying to work that into the Bond movie and of course it was the 1990s so political correctness had become a thing so as you can hear in the clip there's lots of talk about you know misogyny and being a sexist dinosaur and it all quite works because Brosnan's an all-round quite charming Bond I think. He's actually one of my favourite Bonds. I really love his performances and I really I've watched this particularly around the time that came out I've watched this multiple times I love the scene on the dam. Like a, it's a great opener, you know. The, yeah, that was a world record, I believe, when they when they filmed it. Oh, was it? I mean, there's so many things that go for it. It spawned one of the greatest N64 games that have ever lived. <laughs> Excuse me, I think it formed the, the you know basis of the greatest N64. There's, there's no there's no one of about it. It was the N64 game. If you didn't have Goldeneye, you didn't have Jack. Exactly, exactly. But overall, there's so much going for this. You know, Fam K. Jensen in this is brilliant as well. Mm. You know, it's got a great cast. The introdu- reintroduction of these new characters, like you say, with Ju- with Judy Dench and also with Pierce Brosnan, just mm. stepping into the role. You don't get, you didn't get the fanfare that we get now with a new Bond. Like, there's not as much of the hype, but it was the perfect casting and worth the wait. There wasn't, and what they did with GoldenEye using it as a sort of re- soft reboot of sorts is something that became a sort of staple of one of the more directly comparable uh, pieces to this, which is Doctor Who, because in the same way that Pierce Brosnan is kind of an all-round Bond, you wound up eventually with, like, David Tennant, who was the all-round Doctor. There were little individual things that other Doctors did better than him, but he could do them all basically well enough. And... 
they became very comparable for those exact reasons. The other thing I love about Goldmine, of course, is Sean Bean as uh, 006, because again, this is an idea that Doctor Who will eventually bring back, which is, right, now we've kind of found our all-round one, our sort of commonplace, we all agree this is a perfectly fine one, let's see what the evil version looks like. And Sean Bean there as the presumed dead agent who becomes the villain is actually, you know, Bond was going to have to do that as a plot eventually anyway. Why not do it for the reboot? And Sean Bean proves pretty damn fun in the role, I think. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. I, I mean, it's it, the casting is absolutely key on this. And they brought in, like, at the time, Sean Bean, like, you know, he was sharp. He was... He was sharp about that. I think his biggest film, like, around this time is probably When Saturday Comes, the Sheffield United romantic drama. Yes, yes, weird. Um... <laughs> um, no yeah and you know he's built a fan base and then to see him step into this it's then allowed him to move into you know loads of other roles as a result of this so this was another platform for sean bean but look it's it's one of my favorite bonds i can watch this on multiple occasions and i recommend that you guys do too it's a perfect Mm. monday night film itv4 9 p.m go and enjoy this 1995 classic so let's go on for a, something of a, 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 well, it's a cult classic now from 2014, Monday night, Sony movies, 9pm. We've not got long to talk about it. It's The Guest, uh, which was, I think this was, uh, is it Adam Wynyard? I can never remember if it's Adam Wynyard or Adam Wingard. Uh, his effort involving Dan Stevens, who I think at that point was best known for uh, uh, Downton Abbey. Yeah. It's Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard will go on to the Blair Witch reboot a couple, a couple of years later. Um, Dan Stevens is the uh, recently released from the army soldier who returns to his fallen, uh, fallen comrades uh, home to basically you know pay his respects to his family but you know what it's a 2014 psycho filler with some neon knights a synth wave score and lots and lots of sexiness so let's just let dan take it away with his dulcet tones like i said me and your son caleb we were uh, we were pretty close i was with him when he died Yes, ma'am. And one of the things he asked was for me to check on y'all. You and your whole family here. Uh, He wanted me to tell you that he loved you. He specifically wanted me to tell each one of you that he loved you and he was thinking of you guys up until the end. I said I'd do that, and so here I am. Move over, baby-faced Matthew Crawley from Downton, and hello, the new Dan Stevens. I think this shocked a load of Downton fans. They weren't expecting such a juxtaposition to this incredible kind of sexy character that he played because everyone well, that's it, yeah. fan base from Downton that were like in love with the dashing Matthew Crawley and then now you suddenly get this and you're like whoa what's happened and it's the perfect thing for someone that was in a series to make a jump so different to put him on the map in a completely new way. As well, you had as well you had uh, Micah Monroe, who I think at that point this is her first role outside of uh, It Follows, which had opened not long before, and then she follows this up with what will turn out to be the uh, career-killing decision that was Independence Day Resurgence. But um, she's actually very quite good in here. There is something of that sort of Claire Danes archetype to her, with a little bit of like Reese Witherspoon in fear at the same time. Like she's innocent but a bad girl at the same time. Like they wouldn't wonderfully juxtapose it in her she's great fun in it but like i say the movie is just pure filth <laughs> it is one of the it's just it's just you know what i'll tell you what, we've got five minutes sons throw a bit of neon in there 
Ooh, you hear that? Do you hear those little gaps between conversation? Give me some synth wave, pound it through there. Come on, I want to vibrate the clothes off everyone in that audience. That's what kind of a movie it is. It's a very, very sexy movie. Yeah. But I mean, it is kind of a slick, stylish, psycho thriller. It's not going to reinvent the wheel, but it's going to look good and have a damn good time doing it. So that's The Guest, Sony Movies, 9pm on Monday night. It's a tight and tidy film. It's not too long. It's on at the perfect time of night. Do check it out. Just treat yourself. You know, have a nice bath, pour a glass of wine. Settle down for some sexy Dan Stevens psycho-thriller action. Couldn't possibly go wrong. Welcome back to Off Screen. And now, moving on to the remainder of your week in Freeview Flixology, let's go to Tuesday. This coming Tuesday, that'll be the 27th of October. We're creaking closer towards Halloween, obviously. It, it looms ever nearer. Not that it'll be much caught this year. We were supposed to have, you know, a new Candyman and the return of Michael Myers. And, yeah, remember that? That was going to be a thing. Yeah, and I really liked the... Um... I really liked the new Candyman trailer. I thought yeah, well, we would have we would have known what the crack was with that by now in in a better timeline where we weren't run by shaved apes. Anyway, let's talk then about a horror sequel that should hopefully at least pass you know ninety five to a hundred minutes of pleasant enough slasher time for you on five star nine pm on Tuesday night. It is the little forgotten but incredibly amusing horror sequel. I still know what you did last summer. Not to be confused with the disconnected threequel, I'll always know what you did last summer, which I've I've never seen. I was going to say, does that actually exist? It does exist. I've never seen it. I'm sure there's a fourth one that has a different title as well. But this is the one where Jennifer Love Hewitt having and Freddie Prinze Jr. having survived the events of the first movie have, you know, gone on with their lives. She's gone to college where she's roommates with Brandy and they go off to an island resort together for a weekend taking Brandy's boyfriend, Mackay Pfeiffer, along for the ride and a sort of would-be love interest for Jennifer Love Hewitt because she's a bit estranged from Freddie Prince Jr. at this point. And then wouldn't you know it, old hook hands. Is he hook hands in this one? Is he a fishing yeah, hook? Yeah, yeah. Old fishy hook man turns up on the island and starts does starts doing in the, the natives and the, the staff of this resort, which brilliantly includes a very, very stoned Jack Black. But nothing quite as much fun as how they do away with the wonderfully charming Mackay Pfeiffer. So, that's where the flashlight's going. Look, I'm sorry, but you could have been the one doing all this. And so could you, crazy Hey, you're the one who broke into my hiding place. I'm sorry. I must have missed the sign. Excuse me, but this place didn't have a murder rate until you people showed up. Who's doing this? Boy, here we go. Look, look. Don't even get us started, all right? It's a long story and you probably won't believe a word of it anyway all i know is that this is the worst vacation of my whole life i'm tired i'm hungry i'm horny and personally i haven't seen one goddamn psycho killer oh dear poor McConnell. <laughs> it's hardly deep blue sea is it it's hardly sam jackson in deep blue sea that moment oh it's, yes it's not quite his greatest uh, scene i suppose he's ever done listen this is the 90s through and through you've got freddie prince jr just like stalwarts of it mckay Pfeiffer, brandy i haven't heard that name in 20 years <laughs> Do you know how 90s this is? Because this actually reaches peak 90s and then ascends it. This movie, a slasher movie, features as its lead single on the soundtrack a pop romantic ballad called How Do I Deal by Jennifer Love Hewitt. So 
yeah, we like to forget that she did try becoming a recording artist for a while. Good Lord. And also, I love how, like, in the 90s, you would just have titles of movie, uh, sequels that just literally change one word. I still know what you did last time. It's like, could you not be any more inventive? <laughs> Remember, the original title for Scream 2 was Scream Again. So when they changed uh, Scary Movie to Scream, it was going to be Scream and Scream Again. And I think Scream 3 was meant to be Scream Louder or Scream Loudest or something like that. But, uh, yeah, they, they had experimented with this. Yeah. But anyway, it's, it's, it's complete crap, but it's enjoyable crap. Oh. It's a standard slasher movie piece of crap, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's great 90s crap. This is the thing. Exactly. That's exactly yeah. perfect for what you want to be watching on telly. So <laughs> midweek, Tuesday, right? Five star. 9pm. If you have finished work or had a long, hard day at work, this is exactly what you need to unwind. So just go and enjoy it for what it is. Yeah, of course. Right, Wednesday then, 28th of October, Paramount Movies, 11pm. A bit of John Carpenter goodness. This is not John Carpenter's best movie, but it is one of his most iconic. This is the introduction of Kurt Russell to the cinematic landscape as Snake Pliskin, the legendary outlaw who is harangued by a fascist totalitarian government to break into New York, which is by this point in the future a penal colony, to rescue the president whose helicopter has crashed amidst the warring gangland chaos. I have a deal for you. You receive full pardon for every criminal action you've committed in the United States. It was an accident. About an hour ago, a small jet went down inside New York City. The president was on board. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. You go in, find the president, bring him out in 24 hours, and you're a free man. 24 hours, huh? I'm making you an offer, straight, just like I said. I'll think about it. No time. Give me an answer. Get a new president. I don't think there's a more iconic photo of Kurt Russell than with an eye patch and like an AK-47. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that, that is the thing, isn't it? And but then again, you look at the cast of this, which was this is what this is made in about 1980-ish. Like it's released in 81. You'd imagine this toured like the, the underground festival scene for six months, something like that. Um, the cast on this for the time, okay, so it was like Lee Van Cleef, Ernest Borgnine, Donald Pleasance, Isaac Hayes, Harry Dean Stanton, Tom Atkins, Adrian Barbeau. There's a hell of a roster in there. They did kind of go down the same route with the sequel in 1996 when they started getting people like Pam Greer and Steve Buscemi, um, Bruce Campbell into the mix as well. But you can't top Escape from New York. It is, you know, it's the finest hour for Snake Plissken. Uh, we keep getting threats of remaking it with people like Gerard Butler, and I'm sure that will happen one day. I think Lee Wanell is currently attached to it. But it's Kurt Russell at his peak coolness. It is a tidy 99-minute sci-fi thriller, and it's just classic junk carpenter filmmaking check this out 11 p.m on wednesday night on the paramount channel you will not regret this one I think. yeah i think this one will uh if anyone likes like big trouble in little china like, yeah yeah it's that kind of it's that kind of early like like 80s kind of trashy fun film to watch so yeah i'm with you i think that's gonna be that's gonna be a hell of a lot of fun okay let's move on to let's move on in time shall we to 2014 um because if i name this film you'll kind of think back to the more classic uh, sissy spacek version of it which the brian de palma you know classic that yeah. was yeah on your thursday night on five star at 10 p.m with the 2014 version of carrie there isn't enough pig's blood out there to make this <laughs> anywhere near the um the iconic brian de palma version <clears throat> excuse me but 
Having said that, it's still worth your watch. It's still got the same sort of look and feel, but for a whole new audience. Wait. <laughs> I think we're gonna get detention because that would suck. No. They should be thanking us. You're only trying to help her, right? We should post it. <laughs> no, I'm in it. No one's gonna see you, Teeny. What? What are you doing? Carrie? White. Favorite movie? Bloodsport. <laughs> Favorite drink? Bloody Mary. Now, this is obviously not a patch on the Department original. Chloe Moretz as Carrie White is not a patch on Sissy Space. Like Julianne Moore in full flailing psycho mode is not a patch. You know, it, 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 it's, everything doesn't quite stack up. Having said that, though, there's still enough unique in this. For instance, this is written and directed by uh, Kimberly Pierce, who made uh, Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. So the idea of the director of Boys Don't Cry doing a new adaptation of Carrie that's worth checking out in and of itself and it does explore certain elements of the feminine side of this that I you know I, I, I did think were kind of insightful the film itself though just isn't a patch on the fine shock factor that was and it suffered very much at the time from the fact that Chloe Moretz is quite a polarizing figure like Chloe yeah. Moretz is someone that you either love or hate like she has a Alex Pettifer quality going for her I think yeah, yeah, she does. I, I, do you know what? I remember watching this and I remember enjoying it. I think mm. what it is, right? It's a perfect. It's fine, isn't it? It's nuts yeah. and bolts, fine. Yeah, exactly. You're right. It's it's, per- it's a perfectly 50 50 kind of movie, but there are going to be elements that are either going to pull you in one way or the other. And if you don't like Chloe Grace, uh, Chloe Moretz, <clears throat> you are going to want to go back to the 1976 movie. The, yeah. But I just think for a new audience, discovering a horror that hasn't got I suppose hasn't got the open-mindedness to sit through a film from the 70s it mm-hmm. kind of tells the story interestingly enough that will grip a newer audience and that's what I think has got going for it and of course Julianne Moore going nuts in this is always brilliant <laughs> that's it I mean we have it on our list because you know there's not a whole heap on that night but it does belong to that same school of did we need this remakes as you know for instance Rebecca recently in Secret Garden this week where you know what if you've not seen the original you don't want to watch an old movie fine but, you know, just accept that you are getting a slight reduction in quality, even though the elements are there for something bigger. Find out for yourself either way, uh, Thursday night, five star at 10 p.m. Uh, but sticking with the horror theme and sticking with Stephen King, even, Friday, the 30th of October, this will be our last hurrah before Halloween, really. Um, ITV2 at 9 p.m., it's the premiere of what we didn't know at the time, should have been called Chapter One, of It. Mm, I love it. Um, there's. You know, Van and I have always debated between the remake of It and then It 2, It Follows, should we call it? Or It Chapter... No, not It Follows. It Chapter 2, should I say? It Chapter 2, which I don't think is a patch on the on the first one. I think it goes on to... No, it, I think, yeah, 100%. But I thought as a remake and a reintroduction um, with, like, mm. um, Alexander Skarsgård, who play, plays um, Pennywise in this, he's, you know... He's... Uh, Bill, Bill Skarsgård. Alex yeah. is the pretty one. Oh, yes, that's it. Do you know what? I, for me, it really works as a movie. It is terrifying. And the thing that lets the second one down, just as a, a quick point, is that it goes overboard on the big effects. Mm. This kind of feels a lot more closer to the original. Exactly. Because, after all, what, need, what, you, what, what do you need, really, to be scary, except for a clown in a drain? Hiya, Georgie. 
nice boat. Do you want it back? Um, yes, please. You look like a nice boy. I bet you have a lot of friends. Three, but my brother's my best ass. Where is he? In bed, sick. I bet I could cheer him up. I'll give him a balloon. Do you want a balloon too, Georgie? I'm not supposed to take stuff from strangers. Oh, well, I'm Pennywise the dancing clown. Pennywise? Yes, meet Georgie. Georgie, meet Pennywise. <laughs> Now we aren't strangers, are we? Oh, I mean... Just don't don't go anywhere with strangers. Like it's very simple. That is not an introduction that you need. Okay, strangers is one thing. You know, adult stranger dressed up as a clown. Whole other thing. Yeah. Okay. You know what? Last go with all the strangers you want. Just don't go with the ones dressed like goddamn clowns, man. Last year, one of my neighbours dressed in a yellow um, a yellow mac and uh, had yeah. a. A, a red balloon and I was like terrified it was such brilliant Halloween costuming but this film oh it brought it all back for me like you can't get better than Tim Curry as the original Pennywise I really do believe that but Bill Skarsgård gives it such a blooming good go in this absolutely before we, I mean check that out oh, that's a perfect way to end the week anyway on uh, on Friday night at 9pm on ITV2 do check that out it's awesome I will just leave us though with just one thing going back to the yellow raincoat Linda Merrick wears a yellow raincoat when she goes to press screenings and every time she does for years I have just walked up to her and greeted her every morning with hiya Georgie and she's just never clicked in all this time really? oh my goodness no. oh, I might start doing it too when we next get allowed to be our film critic friends <laughs> Indeed, indeed. But for now, you can see the town of Derry and the monstrosity that is Pennywise in his first appearance for 27 whole years, made in 2017, uh, in it, Chapter 1, or the first edition, whatever you want to call it, ITV2, 9pm, this coming Friday. Welcome back to Offscreen, and for our last little foiree with you this week, we are going into the world of DD Blu-rays and streaming, of course, and we are kicking off with something that is available from Monday. It's got an odd title. I have no idea what it's about. I'm hoping the van can enlighten me. Uh, it's called The Other Lamb. What is this? It's a Shaun the Sheep prequel. Of course it is. What else is it going to be? Anyway, no, uh, The Other Lamb, which is a new movie uh, from, I'm going to have to remember how to pronounce her name. It's uh, Margazorta Samoska. I reviewed this last week in print, but uh, on for theatrical and, and streaming. So I think it was out through Mubi last Saturday. It's now getting released on DVD and Blu-ray. It's coming Monday the 26th. It stars Raffi Cassidy from a Tomorrowland. She's, you know, one of those up-and-coming young actresses about 14, 15 at any given point, but not quite old enough to be in serious dramas as yet. It's her and uh, Michelle Hoosman from Game of Thrones. And it's the story. She's one of a crop of, uh, like, young daughter types in a cult that are then sort of bred with and then turned into the wives cast of this cult, which is all led by Michael Hoosman in in perfect scenery-chewing, you know, cult leader mode. He's got the long hair and the beard quaffed just nicely enough, if you know what I mean. Like, it's Mm. it's plausible that he's sexually charismatic enough to be pulling this off. And um, it's basically this journey she goes on, this, this sort of psychological journey as she starts to delve into what is really going on in the inner workings of this cult to which she has become so enthralled and so entwined. It's worth seeing for her performance and it's worth seeing for the cinematography and the score 
all of which work in, in complete time to give this very trippy experience. There's a lot of very, very well-staged camera work in it. It's not the most entertaining film in the world. There's not even a lot of dialogue in it, but it is just this beautiful, captivating, sort of horror-tinged, almost psychedelic, dreamlike horror drama that almost kind of... If you imagine if you crossed... Uh, is it Martha Marcy May Marlene? With, oh yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. With the with the Olsen, Olsen, Elizabeth, the Olsen twin who wasn't Elizabeth Olsen. There we are, the the Olsen who isn't a twin. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the non-twin Olsen. Yes, okay. Uh, that one. If you crossed Martha Marcy May Marlene with the Vervich with Anya Taylor Drew, if you combine the two, you'd sort of land quite close to this. It's worth checking if you want something really ethereal and otherworldly. I think. Interesting. So one to very much be appreciated. So that's available for mm. Monday. It's called The Other Lamb. Uh, moving on to streaming, we have Colour Out of Space on Amazon Prime from Wednesday. And then we've got something called Smallfoot as well. So let's start with Colour Out of Space, shall we? Yes, yeah, so Colour Out of Space, which I, I haven't actually uh, I haven't actually seen this one. I'm intrigued by it mm. uh, because it's an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation that stars Nicolas Cage. So, I mean... You've got one of the most insane writers who ever lived with one of the most insane actors who exists. Yeah. I can't wait to see what they come up with together, but I'm going to find out on Amazon Prime this coming Wednesday. Also on Prime this, this coming week. Uh, this is coming out on Friday the 30th. And this is a huge hit with uh, children of a, a certain younger age. Uh, this is Smallfoot with Channing Tatum and Danny DeVito. And it's the story of, he's like an abominable snowman who you know lives in the Himalayan mountains and his, his job that he's born into is he has, to, he has to bang the gong at the top of the mountain. He goes off on a quest when he hears about this legendary human. There's a human sighting on the mountain. It turns out they treat humans the way that we would treat Bigfoot. And, and that's the journey. And it's got Danny DeVito in these comedic asides as Channing Tatum's, you know, dad who wants nothing more than to train him in how to bang a gong. There should be enough rope. Should be. We don't know exactly how far down it is. It's also all the rope we have. <laughs> okay, if we're going to do this, we got to do it fast. Gwongi, tell them the plan. Oh, boy. Listen up. Oh. Pull once to go lower. Twice to stay put. Three times to come up. Uh. Four pulls means you've reached the bottom, and it's safe for us to come down. Wait, what, what was the second one? Look, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Your safe word is mystical creature. That's more of a phrase, really? Mystery, you out here? Uh-oh. I have to say on this, I remember watching this at a screening and really enjoying it. I think mm, it, yeah. it's a really good little animated movie. And um, I think you were in the screening with me on this. I think we went together for this. I think we did with this one. The thing is, because there's, there's two of them, there's a Deep Impact Armageddon scenario going on. We had Smallfoot as the Deep Impact, then you had Abominable as the Armageddon. And Abominable is the a lot more touchy-feely one, the very much more... That was that was DreamWorks, and it was a bit more Pixar level in terms of how emotional it wanted to go. But this is the one that had um, James Corden, uh, Zendaya, LeBron, yeah. uh, uh, Gina Rodriguez, people like that doing the voices in it. Yeah, and it was a lot of fun, and you probably could tell that from the clip that it's half term like this is like mm. 
this is a great thing to kind of have out and it's coming in the kind of the end of half term really but if you're really struggling to know what to do with the kids at least that suddenly this comes out of nowhere on the Friday and you can go and watch that it is because it's a very wintry family comedy as well you know it's all kind of snow snowy mountains and things it's a very you know now that winter's starting to start to arrive kind of animated romp it's worth checking out I don't think it's obviously not as good a, a movie as Abominable yeah. but Abominable you know had had both me and my flatmate in absolute hysteric, hysterical sobs you know as we were watching it we were very hungover at the time in our defence but yeah. I think I did watch this one with you and I don't think I cried quite as much in, in your presence as I did you did a uh, you just cried your eyes out I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> alas I think that that winds us down nicely for the week but there's loads of stuff uh, going to be coming out uh, for us to cover next week in various little podcasts and then we've got The Witches, which might fall through the cracks. The new yeah. version of The Witches is upon us. That's going to uh, that's, that's going to rental with Warner Brothers, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Um, but I, I'm intrigued to see how that one plays out. I'm a massive fan of the original, um, particularly because of the practical effects elements. And I'm, yes. not convinced, I'm not convinced by the trailer on this one. So we'll have to just mm. wait and see. Van's a little bit more open-minded than I, than I am. I'm like, don't touch but I don't. It's like Secret Garden. I'm not as attached to the the last version as everyone else seems to be to be honest what else we got uh, the, the, the craft is back this next week as well yes the craft legacy again touching a movie that i love from yesteryear i'm i'm a little bit nervous about that but we'll have to wait and see <laughs> how that one plays out i mean it's halloween guys so we'll come back to you with some spooky pickings for the week ahead um but in the meantime if you are out and about and able to pop into london you might see a very oversized Borat sailing down the Thames. I hear, yeah. <laughs> so if you haven't managed to, if, we were, if you're in anticipation of checking out the movie, you can maybe get an idea as to what it's all going to be about when you see a guy using his mask in quite the wrong way as he sit, sits in a Jeff Goldblum pose sailing down the Thames on a boat. Um, but that is that is the big movie of the week. We'll leave you with that. For this week, this has been Off Screen, and I've been Bex Perfect. I've been Van Connor, and we shall return. 